Do we sound silky? I believe we sound silky, yes. Welcome to Tell Me About Your Father's Daddy Issues, where we discuss the people, places, and things in recent current events in pop culture that do or do not have dad energy. I'm Matthew Philp. I'm Elizabeth Thompson. And damn it, I'm Erin Hosier. I didn't know. You're doing okay being Erin Hosier. It's true. Don't don't say damn it. Yeah, you're doing a bang-up job. <laughs> Daddy Issues is Tell Me About Your Father's bi-weekly news wrap-up show on which we discuss who or what are or aren't our dads at the time. So if we decide something or someone is our dad, it means we think it or they have recently shown big boss energy tempered by compassion, intelligence, and or vulnerability. Mm-hmm. If someone or something is not our dad, it means we think that person or thing has recently been infuriating, tragic, cruel, or just a massive disappointment. Mm-hmm. Massive. If you'd like to support this podcast, please head to patreon.com slash tellmeaboutyourfather, where for as little as $3 a month, you can access bonus dad content and fun extras. Extras. Extras, indeed. You guys, what's your deal this week? How has it been? We're alive still. We are. We are. Yeah, the snow has melted here in Ohio. What about you guys? Yeah, it's like 50 degrees. The snow is just a big dead body, dirty pile in the street. Like a dead pile of filth? Yeah. Just another pile in New York City. Just another pile. My week is fine. It's really annoying. (laughs) I spent several days trying to get a vaccine appointment because I have asthma. Asthma is finally (gasps) serving me in my adult life, people. Lucky girl. Now I get to get the vaccine. Um, But I finally got an appointment yesterday, so I'm going on Sunday. For the... Two parts, right? The two shots. Just for part one right. of the two shots. And Matt, you also are from the Asthmatique House of... A- You're also from the House of Asthmatique. <laughs> I'm from the House of Asthmatique, indeed. I'm not a grand wizard of it, though. That's Ugh, the KKK. Wizard, that's not what I wanted. <laughs> yeah, sorry, that's not what I wanted. Yeah, I don't... Imperial Nobody Empress the of the wizard. House of Asthmatique. The mother- You're not yeah. the mother of Asthmatique. I'm not. I'm not that, but I was in the Janssen trial and they're about to approve it, I think. So if if they approve it today, right now, like this afternoon, then they will email me to tell me whether I got the vaccine when I got injected with it, like oh, ages ago, but I don't know whether I did Interesting. Which means, and if I did have it, it means I've been like inoculated against COVID since like September of last year. Oh my gosh. Ugh. Anyway, so... Let's talk about who or what our dads are not right now. Aaron, who or what is disappointing you at this moment? Texas, mm. the great state of, is not my dad this week. Texas is serving big, small dick energy <laughs> in the person of <laughs> Mayor Tim Boyd of a little town in West Texas called Colorado City. Mm-hmm. You guys know A week ago, there was a horrific snowstorm that seemed to hit all of the United States, or most of it, going into the south and west and everywhere, everywhere. And not safe from this weather front was the state of Texas, which, of course, is known for oil, you know, being self-sufficient, wanting to secede from the other states. Has it ever been a blue state, ever? Oh, God, no. It's it's barely even been a United States. Yeah. Not that we don't all know some Texans and love some Texans. And where would we be without Coach Taylor on Friday Night Lights? <laughs> and Tim Riggins. Tim Riggins. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Betta O'Rourke, I see you, right? Mm-hmm. But let's talk about this portion of Texas, which is embodied by Mayor Tim Boyd of Colorado City, Texas. He posted last week in the middle of this storm that has still left millions of Texans without clean water, but they also ran out of power and mass. And I think 30 people died just in the state from freezing to death, hypothermia. Like children. 
children died, children. the elderly died, people died in car accidents because they, you know, don't know how to drive in the snow and it's not their fault. There were huge, ugh, just massive disasters. So through it all, this big guy on February 16th wrote on Facebook on his wall, on his sugar wall, let me hurt some feelings while I have a minute. No one owes you or your family anything, nor is it the local government's responsibility to support you during trying times like this. Sink or swim, it's your choice. The city and county, along with power providers or any other service, owes you nothing. I'm sick and tired of people looking for a damn handout. By the way, every single one of these sentences has either an exclamation point or several, and there's a lot of all caps. I'm getting that energy just from from the writing. If you don't have electricity, you step up and come up with a game plan to keep your family warm and safe. Mm. If you have no water, you deal without and Think outside of the box to survive and supply water to your family. If you are sitting at home in the cold because you have no power and are sitting there waiting for someone to come rescue you because you're lazy is a direct Mm. result of your raising. Only Mm. the strong will survive and the weak will perish. Folks, God has given us the tools to support ourselves in times like this. This is sadly a product of a socialist government where they, (laughs) (laughs) LOL, where they feed people to believe that the few will work and others will become dependent for handouts. Good Lord. Am I sorry that you have been dealing without electricity and water? Uh, semicolon. Yes! Exclamation point. But I'll be damned if I'm going to provide for anyone that is capable of doing it themselves. We have lost sight of those in need and those that take advantage of the system and meshed them in to one group. Bottom line, quit crying and looking for a handout. Get off your ass and take care of your own family. Exclamation point. It's always like written for to a, to a man. Like he's only really talking to fathers. Thank you, Matt. That's exactly right. Like, what about the people that don't have a family in that scenario? What if you're alone? What if, oh, I don't know. What if you've paid your electric bill every single fucking month for your entire life, as I do, and when the electricity goes out because the entire grid is... I'm sorry, that is doing the best to provide for their family. There's nothing you can do to make electricity come back yourself. It's that thing where, like, it's like resentment. He's he's angry about... it's, It's that resentment that you get from conservatives, I think, who want to punish you for asking for something that they didn't they couldn't have or they don't they've they've been told they're not allowed to have so it's like it could be about anything like sexual orientation sexual freedom it could be about like it's in this case it's about like resources and money like he's making this angry point that you can't have it because i had to work hard to get where i am kind of thing yeah but he also was failing at keeping the lights on and who else failed to live up to their big manly responsibility oh, yeah, but totally. ted cruz this month you know mm-hmm. the famous texan senator who left his state in the middle of this cold snap to take the family to to cancun mexico and then blamed it on his daughters but we'll talk about <laughs> ted cruz in our bad dad segment on Patreon, which is quite the canon shaping up. We have up. much more to say about much Mr. More to say. Cruz. But for now, I'll just say, you know, the big, fat, masculine state of Texas, you've got some work to do. You are not my dad this week. Well, yeah, and the other thing I'll add, it is the state's fault and it is the country's fault that we don't have infrastructure that can handle these new end times that we live in because of global fucking warming. Yeah. Period. Period. That's yeah. it. You know who came to the rescue? AOC. The From New York. Exactly. And she raised $2 million for Texas in an afternoon. Beto O'Rourke, the Democrat. 
how do they get these leaders they hate that don't do anything for them that are just like totally useless they they get these useless politicians like ted cruz i think some inability to see that when they elect these people it's a form of self-destruction nihilism and as you were saying aaron warped sense of masculinity and uh american american patriotism (laughs) as as an ability to take care of your family aka be a man aka provide in the correct correct way without ever taking a handout don't get it twisted listen to his words in the facebook comment doing it all on your own it's a weird finger wagging like it's hilarious to hear someone who whose job is to be a public civic servant to be like how dare you expect your local government to help you right now also what are you supposed to do if there's no lights on anywhere, how are you supposed to protect You're your family? You're supposed to make fire by rubbing two sticks together right. or keeping a like your generator going by riding on a bicycle, which you can oh. do for five days straight because you are a strong man. You're a man. And you, and you have can, two legs. And you're able-bodied. That's right, Aaron. If you, you use your legs that you were given... And you get out your yes. chandeliers. Just this oh is when God, I go. Matt, so I always you. bring this up. I always tell this pe- to people, and I always get laughed at. This is when you this bring out your chandeliers. Your candle. Are you chandeliers. talking about candelabra though? Because if your chandeliers can't work, I need a chandelier in every right. room, and I need a hundred or two hundred candelabras in these just goofy around. Texans. These That's goofy Texans do. that aren't like. Okay, you immediately bring out your extra chandeliers. You immediately bring out your your candelabras because all people have them in storage, correct? I, I didn't get them from the state. I fucking saved up for West Elm, Crate and Barrel. That's who makes the good candelabras with the pillars. Pillars. But moving on. Texas ain't my dad. And that dumb asshole, specifically. What's his name? Tim Boyd, he, he, he resigned. He said, I resigned, and then I wrote this Facebook post. And now I'm really butthurt because you fired my wife because of her beliefs in me. Like, I guess she lost oh, okay. her big, small dick energy job. She was probably like a teacher or something. You know, anyway, she was forced to resign because of his terrible words. And he's still in a corner crying, saying, I, I quit. This is actually the perfect way for me to seg into my segment. Speaking of butthurt people with power that aren't really oppressed. You know who my dad is not right now and maybe never was? The concept of God. (gasps) So here is how I get there. The House of Representatives on Thursday passed legislation that would extend existing civil rights to include sexual orientation and gender identity as protected characteristics under the law. The bill would ensure equal treatment for LGBTQ people when it comes to basic things like employment, education, housing, credit, public accommodation, stuff like that. So that legislation today, because we're filming this, recording this on a Friday, that legislation has today moved to the Senate where it will require at least 10 Republican votes to avoid a Senate filibuster to move the bill to a vote. Every time LGBTQ rights or the right to an abortion are on the chopping block, an experience that is inherently dehumanizing for anyone it actually impacts, you see the same tired arguments seep out of religious leaders And it's the God-based cognitive dissonance that grinds me into this tired non-silt every single time. Mm. The argument... Non-silt. I'm not going to say I'm turned into a silt, but I'm near it from just how irritating this is. The argument presented is always something like, this act prevents people of faith who have sincerely held beliefs, a phrase invented by a lawyer, from being able to (laughs) exercise their beliefs. It is boring to constantly hear the idea that it's oppression if people aren't allowed to raise their chances of getting into heaven by demonstrating their loyalty to God by dehumanizing LGBTQ people and or women. I'm not interested in arguing why that's totally insane. My point is just that I'm really tired of hearing it again and again and again. It's not a subtle or ambiguous cognitive failure. It is explicit. Yesterday, 
CNBC published an editorial by Rabbi Avi Shafran, public affairs director for Agudath Israel of America. I don't know anything about them, but let me be clear about this. I'm citing this article, but I could just as easily find dozens of others by other religious and conservative leaders that speak out against the Equality Act in exactly the same way with one of those double-speak statements that's divided by the word but. He writes, Now, no religious American of goodwill wants to see gay or transgendered people threatened in any way, and here's the but, but... Millions of religious Americans of goodwill have deep faith-based convictions about marriage and sexual identity, including, for example, that marriage is a holy commitment made by man and a woman to each other before God and that the creator bestowed DNA and morphology as the only arbiters of sexual identity. By vilifying those ideas, the Equality Act would vilify all those who hold them to be true. I'm not even going to waste time pulling apart the nonsense of that argument. Except that I bet in many other parts of his life, Rabbi Shafran finds rational thought and logic pretty useful. He works on the principle that gravity is a force that governs mm-hmm. our experience with objects, for example. Sure. That in making sure that he can keep a firm grip on the charlatan power he's managed to muster up by being a rabbi, he still has to play by certain rules because other people are involved. He can't always just make up reality like he's doing it here. But what gives him that power in relation to this bill is the idea that that God is an answer to existential angst and a fear of death. And people subscribe to that sense of calm en masse. All it apparently costs is all of their rational faculties. It's just particularly galling that leaders like this use this absurdity to exercise influence when polls show that most people are actually in favour of equal rights for LGBTQ people, according to the Public Religion Research Institute, which found that 72% of Americans, including majority of both political parties, religious yeah. groups... And That's a lot. Every major demographic group favor laws that would protect LGBT people against discrimination. That level of support has re- remained basically the same since 2011. But whatever, religious jerks like Rabbi Shafran will persist and they'll never give it up completely because the idea of God allows it. God is not my dad. Sue me. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought God into this because he is one of the inciting figures for this podcast. Right. You know, it's like predicated on the fact that God, God the Father, mm. gives life to Adam and other fathers. This is the Judeo Christian, or maybe yeah. just the Christian Christian, whatever. But there's always a man, there's always a man who's being used as emblematic of God himself. Yeah. And so what is that? What is that? And also, you know, what I find horrifying about all of it, and it's the classic argument against this, is like what is being argued for is it is our right. It is our right to hate you and to not accept you and to say that we don't believe that you should have full rights as citizens because it is our faith that tells us so. Yeah. It's throwing people under the bus. As a rabbi, as I'm going to assume someone that, as a rabbi and a Jew, uh, understands the painful, lasting effects of the hatred of Jewish people and fervent anti-Semitism that still runs through the world and this country, it's shocking to me that he wouldn't be able to you know, flip that around and put himself in the shoes of someone else. It's it's sociopathic behavior How in the name of faith. Take? Yeah. It's totally ungodly. And fuck you. And I just really hate the way this comes up every fucking time. And it's always this stupid suddenly the blinkers are on. Like suddenly we treat this like it's a counter argument. And it's takes up all this space. And it's such a, it's such a stupid ridiculous idea that has no place in public discourse but every single time it comes up with abortion with plan b but anyway god as a concept in this instance i just you're not biz what do you got you know the past few the past few weeks don't be scared we have been faced with emerging details suggesting that andrew cuomo governor of new york who really shepherded the city 
through the worst of the worst of the pandemic actually lied about how many elderly people died in uh, nursing homes and he said that you know his, his office revealed that what was reported to be about 8,500 is actually more than 15,000. So about human beings. beings. So about double what they said. That only came out after a lot of prodding and outrage from other New York states people. And some (laughs) the press too had been been asking him because I really wanted to understand why this happened. You and I were obsessed with Crisis Daddy, particularly at the beginning of this crisis, the we, pandemic. Yes, hence, hence us calling him Crisis Daddy. Because he made crisis us, Daddy. he made us feel safe with his transparency. We thought mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with his communication and the skills and his emotion, like the the way that he seemed to have so much empathy. You know, we're all in this together, New York strong. So. I just want to set this up for our listeners. Within the last month, his aide, the woman that always sits to his left every time there's a press conference, let it slip that this number was wrong and they'd been sitting on the actual facts. Why? She didn't let it slip in like an oopsie. I didn't mean to just reveal that 15,000 people died. She acknowledged that, that yes, these rumblings about the fact that Cuomo was lying about, that the administration was lying about the numbers that, that they had actually undercounted and, yes, that, that they had undercounted. The reason why she said that they didn't want to reveal the true numbers is because they felt that President Trump would, would you know, pounce on this and never let it go and completely, you know, redirect, like, the narrative around New York City as being worthy of the country's aid and also to just sort of like detract from Cuomo who really rallied against Trump correctly and and I guess the sad thing about it is like sure Trump would have jumped on it but it I don't think it would have badly hurt the city or the state or even Cuomo to admit that that a lot of elderly people had died in nursing homes. It's horrifying. It's awful. The fact that it was sort of wrapped up in basically his ego and his fear of a a big bullied dumbass in the White House was disappointing given how much his daily conferences started to center around, especially, you know, in mid-April, in May, when 700 people were dying in the city a day and they were bringing in cooled semi-trucks to store bodies in and the city yes. was basically in shock, it felt very soothing to have someone, as you said, not only tell us the facts, but also to deliver speeches in which he applauded how much New York is about love and kind of vulnerability. And I'm going to play you a little clip. Um, This is from uh, April of last year. So this is when shit is starting to get really bad. This was the press conference where he wore the white polo and people thought that maybe his nips were pierced underneath. Go to our Instagram for proof of this and weigh in, please, at Tell Me About Your Father. We're going to make it. Because I love New York, and I love New York because New York loves you. New York loves all of you, black and white and brown and Asian and short and tall and gay and straight. New York loves everyone. That's why I love New York. It always has, it always will. And at the end of the day, my friends, Even if it is a long day, and this is a long day, love wins, always, and it will win again through this virus. Thank you. Okay, so here, it's important, it's, sorry, it's important to note that he put out a book last year on how to be a great leader before he, before he'd actually sold, before any real major progress had been made. On the pandemic. Yes. That was I just the... had to say that while I was listening to that and remember like how swept up we all were in his How words. swept up we all were. And listen, I I did not, you know, 
I walked into my love of crisis daddy with qualms and hesitation. He's not perfect. He's done shitty things as governor. His treatment of prisoners and yeah. the carceral system in general in New York is outrageously fucked up. And he is hugely at fault for that. However, there was something really soothing about hearing this man with a thick New York accent tell us that we were all going to get through this together and that we all loved each other and that New Yorkers love everybody. And sure, love wins is probably something that was like dreamed up to sell Gap t-shirts. I don't know. But in the end... It was meaningful and I appreciated it. Yeah, to your point earlier, Erin, we spent a lot of time during the really bad days where people were just bursting into tears all day long. I couldn't get through a day without Mm -hmm. crying. It was really horrifying. We would watch the crisis daddy briefings at 11 a.m. and text each other and be like, oh my God, are you crying? I'm crying. Again, I say this as someone who is very suspicious of this man to begin with. I didn't want to cry. I didn't want to let my guard down to him, but I did. And so there's something very disappointing, massive disappointment to meet the criteria of not being my dad and infuriating about the fact that they decided to hide this because they basically they were scared of being made fun of by Donald Trump and how much that would distract from, you know, the strides that the city was making and also the resources that they needed. That's unfortunate. And then, you know, this is all compounded by a former aide coming out, Lindsay Boylan, and saying that, you know, he sexually harassed her. She has been making these claims for the past year. He has denied it. He's also categorically denied that he threatened Queen's representative councilman Ron Kim for calling him out publicly over these deaths that he had. And I do believe, you know, Ron Kim upset. <laughs> I'm reading his website, commenced the rally by calling out Cuomo for abusing his power and trying to bully others to bend to his will, chanting with the crowd, Cuomo is an abuser. Cuomo abuses his powers. Abusers are cowards. Yeah, there's just something massively disappointing about the fact that this man has been hiding and pressuring others to keep secrets all to save face to the biggest bully of them all donald trump so i don't know you're not my dad for that reason andrew cuomo i think you should probably step down and resign go hang out with your dog spend some time with your daughters maybe look into going to some al-anon and that's it he also (laughs) just like isn't your dad anymore it's like so kind of sad that he was but now isn't you know that's the thing fall from grace i mean again not that he was ever on a massive pedestal for me but i'm disappointed and i was sort of amazed and i honestly watching him in those press conferences wondered if he had gone to al-anon or just a fair amount of therapy because there was such an emphasis daily on you know that part of being tough is being loving because when new york tough well, loving and was smart. Mm. There's always this emphasis on that part of our strengths is being vulnerable and admitting like that we're afraid right now and that we're scared and that this is going to be really hard, but we can all do it together. I hate the use of vulnerability too in this way, but I'm just going with it. Say this is a huge problem and we are really concerned and we're doing our best and there are mass deaths and it's horrifying and and sad and we're doing our best instead of just lying to dodge the finger wagging and laughter of Trump, you know, etc. So for that reason, you're not my father. You're not my father anymore. You were my father. I will say that you were my crisis dad, but you're not. Oh, my God. Let's talk about who or what has recently shown big boss energy tempered by compassion, intelligence, and or vulnerability. Erin, who's tucking you in at night right now? You know, I'm really comforted by the grace, poise, and just total strength of FKA Twigs, who is the performing artist. She's a dancer. She's a singer. Um, She's an all-around style icon. 33 years old. She came forward a few months ago about abuse at the hands of the actor Shia LaBeouf, who is like 
a younger crisis daddy for me. Like somebody I had a big crush on. For those who may not be familiar, Shia LaBeouf, yes, a known pain in the ass, an actor with problems, but who sort of redeemed himself in our eyes when he wrote a movie and starred in it. He wrote it about his real-life father and played his abusive father in the movie Honey Boy, which is where he met the actor FKA Twigs on set. So they had a romantic relationship, as you do, as many actors do, with Shia LaBeouf. He has dated, been married to, or engaged, or whatever, with many of his former co-stars. And so she came out a few months ago to say he's extremely abusive. It wasn't a one-time thing. There's a sustained pattern of abuse. I'm going to share with you what that is. But also he tried to kill me in a parking lot, and three men watched and didn't do anything. She felt like they were laughing or like they just weren't going to save her. So she eventually did get free from the relationship. When she came forward, Shia, you know, denied. He apologized in a vague way and said that, you know, blamed his alcoholism and his addiction struggles and uh, failed himself. Um, He has hurt himself and everyone around him makes no excuses, but he denies all of her claims. She went on our favorite CBS This Morning, to have a pretty good-sized segment with uh, Gail King, who asked her this question. been in this position, likes this question, and I often wonder, is it is it even an appropriate question to ask? Mm-hmm. And you know the question is, why didn't you leave? Yeah. And I think we just have to stop asking that question. I know that you're asking it, like, out of love, but, like, I'm just going to make a stance and say that I'm not going to answer that question anymore because the question should really be to the abuser, why are you holding someone hostage with abuse? You know, and people say, oh, it can't have been that bad because else she would have left. And it's like, no, it's because it was that bad. I couldn't leave. Yeah. So uh, after Twig said that, Gail King made sure to give it context later when it was playing for her male colleague. You know, I'm glad that she said that. And I I got the feeling maybe they discussed it ahead of time. Gail was like, I'm about to ask you that question. She's like, okay. Because Gail did accurately know that that's not something you say. But particularly because this relationship, you know, they're both in in their early 30s, it lasted for less than a year. So to my mind, that is leaving ASAP. You know, like, and it makes you think, you know, when I grew up, it was always about battered women's syndrome. That was actually a thing. And that means Mm -hmm. apparently like when, when the battered woman refuses to leave her abuser. And it's like, it's not the psychological thing, it's actually a very practical thing, too. If you don't have another job, if you don't have somewhere to go, if you don't want to get murdered like he's threatening to murder you, you will stay put. You will do whatever it takes to lay low. The interview is really fantastic. She has um, spoken out to Elle magazine and a cover story also this month. There's a lot of useful information. She talks about what love bombing is, which is when you're new to a relationship, if somebody is like really putting you on a pedestal just to like build you up, build you up, build you up, and then yank it out from under you. She describes on set during Honey Boy where she was staying, he would, he, he jumped a wall or scaled a wall just to leave flowers on her doorstep. They barely knew each other. And she was like, oh, my God, that's so romantic. Instead of asking herself, like, whoa, why wouldn't he just come in the front? Like, what's up with the grand gesture? And I thought that was really interesting, Busy, because I know it's something that we talk about a lot. Why are we attracted to the guys that we're attracted to? Yeah, I mean, yeah, Erin, why are we attracted to 
with these types and also just taking it back to the Cuomo stuff too like we I think we're both kind of smitten by the LaBeouf you know the LaBeouf like maturity that we saw happening or his growing up which I perceived after Honey Boy came out as incredibly honest here's a guy that's quote doing the work you know and is recognizing that he suffered greatly as a child star greatly at the hands of the industry and a you know father that was not really protecting him and is himself an addict and abuser for me and I think for you too and for many women and people in the world women and men that when it's, by the way, exactly the same with gay men. <laughs> yeah, It's yeah. not any different. It's that exactly when the same. men display vulnerability, it's like a giant projection screen for us to be like, oh my God, they're, you know, completely solid in all of these other ways. They were able to articulate this painful memory or draw a line between their mistreatment of partners or bad behavior to trauma it doesn't end there and I think the other thing that the Twigs interview was really important is that she talks about gaslighting and I think she did a really good job of portraying what that is by using his own words against him which is always beautiful when someone can execute that correctly or cleanly which is that you know Shia LaBeouf when she came forward with her civil suit he said you know, I have been abusive to myself and those around me. I, I take responsibility for that. Dot, dot, dot. Not in the same statement, but okay. So he says, I take responsibility. Yes, I have been abusive. But then he turns around and says, but none of what Twigs is saying happened. So it's, it's, it's another statement where you throw a butt in the middle exactly. and then negates the entire And a butt is a negator. Yeah. A butt is a negator. It's not an and. A butt is not an and. A butt is a butt or is a you know what a butt is? A butt is an eraser. It is an eraser for everything that you said before the butt. True. Yeah, that's right. So like being a a young woman in the world who goes in public up against Shia LaBeouf, who is uh, certainly was during the Transformer days, one of only a handful of Hollywood actors who could call this number. And even if they killed a hooker, they'd have the studio would get rid of the body. Like that's how much power <laughs> sure he, he had. did. That yeah. is how much power yeah. he had. So she's. I mean, who knows whether he has that now that he's kind of like Lars von Trierted out. You know, he's like kind of more Euro art and difficult. But she went up against that, and that is ballsy. It's very big boss energy. Thank you to FKA Twigs. My dad this week, it's a it's a tie. They're closely tied together, so I feel like it's an acceptable tie. But I would like to say, give my gratitude and appreciation for both the actress Mara Wilson, who you might remember as an adorable little girl in Mrs. Doubtfire, and a variety of shows, including Melrose Place. I didn't realize she was on. Melrose she was on Place. Melrose Place. Yes. My God. Yeah. Um, Miracle on Matilda. The, the, Matilda, obviously the huge iconic Matilda role, and then uh, tied with her is Tavi Gevinson, a fashion blogger at the height of fashion blogging and blogging in general. In 2008, when she was only 11 years old. Her website, Style Rookie, took off. She was sitting front row at shows along with Anna Wintour, etc. Both women wrote pieces on the same day this week, on Tuesday the 23rd, in relation to the Britney Spears documentary. And they both have actually pretty similar headlines, which I thought was interesting. So Mara wrote in an op-ed, the headline is, The Lies Hollywood Tells About Little Girls. And the subhead is Britney Spears and I learned the same lesson growing up. When you're young and famous, there is no such thing as control. Writing for New York Magazine, Tavi Gevinson wrote, the headline is Britney Spears was never in control. And the subheadline is, why did I ever believe a teen girl could hold all of the power? Both pieces talk about the trauma and disservice that happens when 
adults sexualize and treat young people, especially young women, as other adults and talk to them as such because they find it to be cute or just familiar for them. Both pieces are much more complex than that, but that I felt was the crux of each of their arguments and super important to spell out. Mara doesn't talk about this in her piece, but Tavi does. This argument in the New York Times documentary that suggests that the Britney was very in control of her sexuality and this emblem of power and sexuality and playfulness that was attractive to young people. And that's true. And that power is also dictated by men in corporate America. Well, it certainly got younger, you know, like... Uh, You know, Madonna was in charge of her sexuality. She was empowered. But she was in her 20s. And I think capitalist corporate America, like, they just saw Britney and they were like, yeah, let's let's start doing this thing where we do the barely legal. You know, she's not quite 18, but she's almost 18. So Mara's piece is interesting because she uses it to talk about a time when she was 13 and she was promoting... Uh, the movie Thomas and the Magic Railroad. We've all seen it a thousand times. We know it by heart. Just kidding. I've never seen it. I lived it. I didn't have to see it. Her her co-star, by the way, in Thomas and the Magic (laughs) Railroad is, drumroll please, Alec Thoughtless Pig Baldwin, everybody. So Mara is only 13 at this time. It's, I believe it's the year 2000 when she's giving this interview. And this woman who's interviewing her, an adult, who sort of coaxed her into feeling like she can open up to her, asks her about what she thinks of Britney Spears. And uh, 13-year-old Mara says that she hates her, quote-unquote, and that now she's like, I was just reacting to who Britney Spears was at the time, which was a mainstream pop icon and I wasn't I wasn't like that I wasn't like the other girls that were into that stuff I was alt I was this I was that and I was also jealous because I wasn't that but there's a, an important part of her piece that I want to want to read and then I want to read a little bit of Tavi's I've never appeared in anything more revealing than a knee-length sundress so this is when she was a little girl that her parents very intentionally dressed her conservatively and then she wrote it was not safer that way it didn't work People had been asking me, quote, do you have a boyfriend in interviews since I was six? Reporters asked me who I thought the sexiest actor was and about Hugh Grant's arrest for soliciting a prostitute. Oh, yes. It was cute when 10-year-olds sent me letters saying they were in love with me. It was not when 50-year-old men did it. Before I even turned 12, there were images of me on foot fetish websites and photoshopped into child pornography. Every time I felt ashamed. So this is this is the kind of kicker line for me. Hollywood has resolved to tackle harassment in the industry, but I was never sexually harassed on a film set. My sexual harassment always came at the hands of the media and the public. And she goes on to say that a lot of this is happening because it has far less to do, she writes, with the trauma it has far less to do with the child, but with the people around them who are allowing them into these situations and not helping to protect them. And also, you know, the treatment of children as adorable little adults that say the darndest things and won't it be a funny poll quote to ask an 11-year-old who she thinks the sexiest actor is. I mean, I think some of that has been stamped out of us culturally at this point, but probably not really, you know. Not at church. Not at church. Not at church. I mean, people are always asking little girls, like, oh, you're so pretty. Do you have a, and probably little boys too, do you have a girlfriend? And you're soliciting that. And I'm like, maybe he's trans. Maybe they're they. Right. They're six. They're six. They're or maybe six. they don't know what a boyfriend or a girlfriend is or, or care Let's to. Let's not rush it. Yeah, yeah. And they're the same people who get enraged when you see any portrayal of gay love on oh, television right. at all. Right. Who would protest, I like, love Simon or something. But they're like... Oh, but let's do photos of like six-year-olds who look like they're married, like holding hands and kissing. It's like this bizarre, like those are the same nonsense. people that are into gender reveal shrapnel. 
Like, I will blow... The people have been killed by shrapnel no, from gender reveal parties. It's and, and also what you you know you see it mirrored in the Britney Spears documentary with Ed McMahon on Star Search asking her as a kid, yes. do you have a boyfriend? It's so creepy. So you know this 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 point that Mara makes, I think, is really important. That I think that the most damage is done to to these children by the adults around them who are enabling them to be pushed into something too soon to be treated as adults because we all think it's funny and cute and charming and because they're getting paid because the kid is the one carrying the film kind of thing so i thought tavi gevinson's piece was super interesting she talks about the fact that she got pushed into this world or that she was pushed in at an early age but she also talks about the fact that she had her own website as a teenage girl called rookie, rookie. edited edited by um, adults, uh, edited by Tavi, but also with adults, in which she wrote about teenage girls. That idea that teenage girls at the time could conquer the world. Teenage girls could take on anything, do anything, be anything they wanted. And that's all true, of course. But here's what I think is interesting. And she writes this. Rookie was realistic about the challenges girls face, publishing a wealth of great writing about consent, gender dynamics, and sexual assault. But editing these articles did not make me impervious to the issues they described, meaning that she too faced this stuff. If teen girls or young women are encountering adult men socially, they are navigating norms and expectations that were built to rationalize men's behavior. They are not endured to power imbalances or how power may complicate consent. They are not historically taught to leave a sexual encounter the moment that it becomes violent. And then she ends this this paragraph by saying, When I've met 18-year-olds in the last couple of years, I have been struck by the fact that even if someone is precocious, it is their youth that makes them precocious. If you can still be considered, quote, mature for your age, you are not an older person's equal. This observation can easily go from an act of respect to license for harm. It's true. There is something horrifyingly sad and true about that statement. And you see it all the time. The trope of like the kid with the zany one-liner on the family comedy or whatever. It's like this need to to adultify children because it makes us feel easier around them. And the, the trauma that that creates is permanent. We're commodifying them, really. Like, just turning them into the machines that ch- churn out material, you know, as well. Yeah. They're content creators now. So, you know, I just I thank Mara and Tavi equally for underlining and bringing to the forefront something that we don't talk about enough which is the permanent wounds that we leave on children when we make them grow up too quickly and when we reward them for growing up too quickly it fucks you up mara tavi you're both my dads and uh thank you both for your service thank you for your service speaking of women who have been through it and live to tell the tale my dad right now is a 105-year-old Lucia de Klerk of oh, America's famous New Jersey. Who wow. recently beat COVID, which she found out that she had both on her birthday and a day after her second Pfizer vaccine shot. Oh, no. Here's a woman who has big boss dad energy. I feel like she was prepared for this, though, because she survived the Spanish flu. She lived through all the world wars and the Depression. She lived through Herbert and J. Edgar Hoover. And she says that the secret to her beating COVID has been gin-soaked raisins. She had <laughs> eight per day. She says you put eight, you put raisins in gin, and then you have eight of them per day. And the thing is, I really appreciate that because there's nothing like a solid miracle cure that probably has no basis in science. (laughs) It's at the heart of what America is. It's also really great that the New York Times and other media outlets were ready at her bedside to say, what's your secret? And Lucia, a woman who I'm sure couldn't give a fuck, says, raisins in gin. Well played, Lucia. (laughs) Remind us of perseverance through gin. That's an example of the media asking an age-appropriate question to to someone. Yes, that's an age-appropriate question. But 
at the same time, it's flawed and I will get to that. Mm. But, but I want to just take a, a quick detour and say, I don't know about you guys, but I love any kind of a harebrained scheme, an amateur heist, a madcap caper and an old time. <laughs> Those are my four of my favorite things. And like, because did you know that Marlena Dietrich, when she was 43, she would get her makeup artist to wind her hair tightly around hairpins and then pull them back so tightly and fix them to the back of her head that they would draw blood so that she could basically have a tighter face a without facelift. getting any yeah. kind of surgery. That's genius. I one time had a sty in my right eye and it and and until it healed, every senior, every senior. I met would tell me to touch a gold ring to it. You're That's kidding. ludicrous. I actually needed surgery, but thank you for your help. Putting butter on burned yep. skin, totally ridiculous. ridiculous. <laughs> eating cats in the Australian bush. I'm not Who sure does that? Already, eating cats? Who does that? Do That's like there. a Texas bush thing. Yeah, people have done that. Snake oils are great. It's good to have the occasional mysterious, unusual, unexpected, absurd remedy. Bring them on. Let's get raisins and soak them in gin immediately and then sell them. <laughs> So my thing mm. is, the only downside for Lucia now that she's still alive at 105, 105, still alive, that's a new tagline, is that I think it probably sucks to be 105 yeah, and still sure. alive, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. she got, I mean, you know, whatever, she got through all of last year and she's here. Good for her. What Lucia represents in a way, among other things, is that America is a playground for people willing and desperate enough to make anything and anyone their new messiah, including raisins. <laughs> and within that, there's room for an elderly woman who just wants to stick around for a while and see how this whole thing plays out. Lucia, mm. you're my dad. That's it. Nothing at stake, really. A woman didn't die. There we go. I mean, eight. Eight though is interesting. That's yeah, like where'd an she OCD get eight? shot. That's like that's a shot. Yeah, right. Gin. That's like right? that's that's it. Do you think she does them like nine to five? Like she starts at like nine AM. <laughs> She's like one an hour. One, two. <laughs> Do you know what? I didn't put Three. this in, and I know that this is bad form, but I'm going to look it up because no, I think do she it. actually also, does explain. Also, um, I, you, you know, this whole time you we've been talking about this, I've had it in my head that gin is rum. <laughs> now, yeah, and now because well, raisins, like, raisins gin, and rum gin. go together. Why gin? Oh, sorry, it's not eight raisins a day. Fuck, it's nine. <laughs> Here's the thing. Fill a jar, she explained. Nine raisins a day after it sits for nine days. Oh. That's her routine. Golden raisins. For most of her life, she has done this each, well, each morning. So she's starting out her day with a buzz. A, a shot. shot. A shot That's of That's what I'm saying. Does a shot she's... of raisins of nine. Ra- what did I say? Eight. Nine raisins a day. But also no, prayer, obviously, because, you know, of course. Oh, prayer? And then also, you know, no junk food. Shit. I don't believe that. I don't believe All of those counteract food. each other and the whole, your, who is not your dad oh my this God. week, which is God. So this is like a heady brew. It's a lot. Yeah, it is a dress, a salad dressing of, of difficult issues. But it's, but here we it's are. human. It's deeply human. That's exactly right. And, and deeply, deeply dead. Oh, guys, I got to go to an Al-Anon meeting, so we got to wrap it up. Yep, we got to wrap it up. Oh, that's that's the sign. That's the sign that we're done. So listen, if you agree or disagree with our picks or you have any of your own, sound off in our Instagram comments or send us a DM. We are at Tell Me About Your Father. And I would be remiss if I did not say that Tell Me About Your Father and Daddy Issues are produced Ew. by Aaron Hoser, Woo. Elizabeth Thompson, and Matthew Philp. Follow us at Tell Me About Your Father on Soch. Soshi. Bye, everybody. Bye. Love you. We do love you. <laughs> Unlike your dad. Okay. I'm stopping, right? We're stopping. <laughs>